Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lewis Jackson. I'm one of the lay people here at this church. We're a little short-staffed on ministers this, ministers this Sunday, so I get to fill in. So, But it's an honor to be here and um, to be here with all of you, especially on a Sunday like this, Pentecost Sunday. So, uh, Pentecost, what does that mean? That's what we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning. It started off as one of the Old Testament festivals discussed and outlined in Leviticus. The big one for the Jews was Passover, commemorating when they were uh, liberated from captivity in Egypt, when God did that for them. Pentecost, the Greek literally means 50 days, and it happened 50 days after Passover. It was basically a harvest festival, is what it started out being. Um, just giving thanks and praise to God for the successful harvest. It was an agricultural thing. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks. But after Jesus was crucified and then resurrected on Passover, the Passover weekend, after he was resurrected, he was on earth for 40 days, making appearances to the disciples to encourage them, to minister them. And then one of the last things he told them right before he was taken up to heaven is, stay in Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. He didn't tell them how long it would be. He didn't tell them what that power would look like. He just said, do this. And the implication was, trust me. And so from the resurrection to when he ascended, that was 40 days. Ten days later was Pentecost. And what was happening at Pentecost, because it was a Jewish festival, and because they were in Jerusalem, Jews from all other areas, all other regions around that area would come back to Jerusalem for the festival and make their pilgrimage. So, 50 days. Pentecost. And what happened, like we were singing about earlier, they were all in one place, and at that point it was about 120 believers They were all in one place together, and all of a sudden, just like we were singing, they hear something that sounded like a loud wind. And then they saw what looked like tongues of fire coming down from above, landing on each one of them. And once that happened, they felt filled. And what came out of them was ministry. The form it took was tongues. All these Jews that were from all over the place, they heard the commotion, They saw something was going on, and what happened is all these believers who now could speak a different language through the power of the Holy Spirit were able to speak to these outsiders in their own native tongue to communicate the truth of the gospel to them. And so what happened is um, it went from 120, and through that, through that big first evangelistic moment, 3,000 people were saved. Went from 120 to 3,000 in that moment. Peter was a pivotal feature in all of this. He had gone from sort of being the bad boy disciple, but Jesus had a soft place for him in his heart because he recognized his potential. And Peter, this was his moment. He rose up, he preached, he moved in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to take the lead. He preached and, like I said, 3,000 came. So, That's the basic story of Pentecost. Many of us are familiar with that. Now, for those of you who have heard me up here before, you know it wouldn't be 
me doing a sermon if I didn't have some cartoons from Pearls Before Swine, my favorite strip here. So, (laughs) got some fans out there. So, uh, we'll have those one at a time. Rad is one of the main characters, and uh, he's he's kind of evil. He's the he embodies what's bad about people in this comic strip. So, in this situation, he's a sports reporter, and he's talking to the football player. You had a great game out there today. To what do you attribute the victory? And the guy answers. First and foremost, to God. And Rat's sarcastic streak comes through. So, God was up there actively rooting against the other team and slamming the coffee table when they got a first down. I see I've confused you. (laughs) And sometimes we get a little confused about Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit, too. So let's clear up some things. First of all, Pentecost, like I said, it was already an established festival. It took on new meaning with this, with this one that we're talking about, but it was not the first appearance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there from the beginning of all time, before all things, with God. And we just sang about that also. You spoke the world into motion. We just sang those lyrics. And the Holy Spirit was there. It was through the Holy Spirit that God created. And we see that in Genesis 1 and in John 1, the Old Testament and the New Testament creation stories. There were lots of Old Testament examples where God said, God's Word says, He sent the Holy Spirit into this or that person for a particular task or at a particular moment. Even for the disciples, this Pentecost was not their first infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you read John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, John writes that the risen Christ, during those 40 days, at one time that he appeared to the disciples, he breathed the Holy Spirit into the ones who were there. So this was not the first Pentecost. It's also not the last big episode like this. If you read through Acts, you will see that there were other moments similar to this where there were even things like noise and earthquake kind of phenomenon going on when the Holy Spirit came and filled believers. So it wasn't the first Pentecost, and it wasn't the last. So why the big focus on this Pentecost? Well, it was the first experience of the Holy Spirit for some of the believers there. It was the biggest group so far that had experienced that, and part of the focus is because of what happened as a result. It was a particularly powerful moment where that happened. Um, The tongues, the salvations that came, all of that was part of it. When you start talking about the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that it's described in the Bible is in John 3, verse 8, where Jesus is saying, such as it is with the Spirit, and he's talking about the wind. He's talking about how the wind blows wherever it will. And he says that the Spirit is like the wind. And you can't see it. You may have heard that before. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind, can you? You see its effects on things. And that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. You don't actually see the Holy Spirit in a visible sense, but you see the effect that the Spirit has on other people and situations. Um, Peter and Paul in the New Testament, they both confirm that at the moment of a believer's conversion, at the moment that you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. God sends the Spirit in at that moment And the very presence of God takes up dwelling inside of each and every believer. 
So the Holy Spirit is God himself, active and present in the world and in each believer. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, with a silent P at the beginning. And what it means is wind, or literally air in motion. And if you look at the Hebrew word, ruach, it means breath. And that's what the Spirit is to us. It's life. It's breath. It's air. It's wind. Wind in motion. Doing something. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just take a couple of deep breaths. From a physiologic standpoint, what's going on in your body as you breathe, you're drawing air into your lungs. As the blood flows through your lungs, it's picking up the oxygen, and the heart pumps it so that it gets to every cell of your body. As you continue with your eyes closed, realize that that same drawing in of breath sustains and gives us life. It's what's happening the Holy Spirit. You draw in God's presence because it sustains you. Because it is what gives you life. You can open your eyes. A couple of times we've done a song here in this service called What a Beautiful Name. And verse 2, the cool thing about it is, I think it sort of highlights why God chose to give the Holy Spirit to us. Why God chose to pour His Spirit into us. In verse 2 of that song, this is not a lead-in, we're not doing it after communion today. Verse 2 says, You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you sent heaven down. God's desire for us is not just that we be saved, that we populate heaven. God's desire for us is for relationship. And by sending Jesus down, preparing the way for us to receive the Holy Spirit, that's what paves the way for us to experience relationship. We experience that relationship as the Spirit's presence comes into us and takes up residence. God has no needs. Every now and then we hear people say, well, God needs me to do this or that. God has no needs. But God has an incredible desire to be in relationship with us, with his people. He beckons us into relationship And then at the moment that we accept and say yes to him, that's when we get to heaven. You know, we think of heaven happening when we die and and then we get to heaven. No, heaven starts at the moment that relationship begins, at the moment we confess him as our Savior. Salvation is a major turning point in the trajectory of your life, but it's just the beginning of what happens. So, back to the cartoons. Rat is back at home now, encountering a scene that many of us have encountered before in our lives, right? Can I help you? Hi, 
We're here to walk around your neighborhood and give you the good news. Did my annoying neighbor Bob finally kick the bucket? Good news means different things to different people. And when you talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in you, that's going to mean different things to different people. Because God is at work doing so many different things at different times. He's always up to something. So, what are some of the different functions of the Holy Spirit? And we may have a graphic that lists these one by one as we go. First of all, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is transform us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that he who is in Christ is a new creation. So at the moment of our conversion, we are transformed into a whole different being because God is now in us. Um, And then from that point forward, we're continuously being transformed. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is continually transforming us, making us more and more into his likeness. Second thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit renews us. The Holy Spirit revives us when we're tired, when we're broken, when we're beaten down by what the world has thrown at us. The Holy Spirit renews us. Um... I want to read from Isaiah 2, Isaiah 32, 14 through 15. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, till the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. It's God's purpose and desire to renew us and to revive us, to give us strength, to give us hope. Next thing, Holy Spirit comforts. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about this a lot, about how it's the work of the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to restore our joy. Um, The Holy Spirit will show us blessings when we didn't realize they were there to help us understand his purposes. Um, God will reveal where he's at work. Um, Rob and Chrissy are over here today, which is definitely a blessing. Um, Back around the beginning of April, when a lot of people were getting ready to go on spring break, they were making plans also. They've had a particularly rough couple of months with all kinds of complications with his illness, and they had finally planned to get away on a beach trip. But right before he left, he spiked a high fever. And so had to go back to the hospital and start treatment to try and figure out where that was coming from, what that was all about. And although initially there was a lot of very justified pain and aggravation over, you know, we finally needed this time away, and this happens, in talking with Christy and reading her posts and and texts, you could see this transformation happen in her where she realized that this is a blessing that this happened here where we're still close to all of our doctors who know us and are familiar with our care, rather than being 400 miles away, getting possibly admitted to a hospital that has no clue about what's going on. The Holy Spirit opened her eyes to where God was at work watching out for them. Sure, there's still disappointment over the missed trip, but then encouragement starts to come as you realize, as God opens your eyes to where he was at work in your situation, and in your life all along, where he's going before you 
and, and following behind you, taking care of you. The Holy Spirit heals also. Anytime healing happens, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit heals us, our emotions, our bodies. When healing happens, it's because of that. Um, you know, I just heard a story this morning about a, a young boy, a relative of a member here, who needs prayer, just diagnosed with a little boy, just diagnosed with a brain tumor. God is going to bring healing into that situation because that is God's nature. And any of you who have just now heard this request, as you pray, the Holy Spirit's going to move through your prayers and minister to this family as well. The next one, the Holy Spirit communicates. And this is a big one. We talk all the time about hearing God's voice. And that means all different kinds of things. Sometimes it's an audible voice, like a person standing next to you that you can hear. More commonly, it's an internal nudging, an internal knowing. Because God is willing, if we're willing to stop and listen, and if we've trained ourselves to know what his voice sounds like when he's speaking, God is more than willing to talk to us, to explain to us, to speak to us, to give us clarity, to inform us. Ephesians talks about the Spirit being the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is understanding what we already know, making sense of what we've already been taught. Revelation is new knowledge. God gives both. And the more we train ourselves to listen to his voice, like the sheep listening to the shepherd, the more you hear what God's saying to you. The Holy Spirit equips us. The Bible talks about all the different gifts of the Spirit. Those are things that God gives us so that we can do the work of ministry. Um, The Holy Spirit empowers us, gives us boldness to do the things of God even when we don't feel like it. Because you have to understand that nothing of any significance comes through a believer apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability, sometimes even to minister in spite of our own pain. I was over at the Estes house yesterday, trying to be a comfort to Rob and Christy and to help them out over there. And all of a sudden, Rob asks if he can pray for me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to opportunities for ministry, no matter what your current circumstances are. And then one more thing, and this is just my list. The list goes beyond just this, but I'm just giving you eight things this morning. The Holy Spirit unifies. The New Testament talks several times about the unity of the Spirit. And when we come together, it is the Holy Spirit that unites us. A couple of times in the past, we've had worship services here with other churches, other denominations, the thing that we have in common is the presence of God in us. And when, those, when the people of God come together and we start enjoying the unity that comes from the fellowship of the Spirit, God binds us together and we're one in the Spirit. God also talks about the Holy Spirit in terms of water. And in John 7, 37 through 39, it reads, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. God's desire is to fill us with his Spirit so that we can bless others through the overflow. And just like many of you, Rat gets another visit from the same people. Can I help you? Hello, have you heard the good news? Yes, the Steelers covered the spread. They wouldn't even high-five me. We should be excited about what God has done for us and what God is offering us every single day. Because Pentecost is not a one-time experience. It wasn't in the Bible, and it isn't for us. We need it pretty much daily. We need that infilling. We need that pouring of the Spirit into us to sustain us, because every day something is going to come up that will try to undo us, that will try to trip us up. And at the same time, every single day, there are opportunities where we can rise up as a witness to do what God has called us to do, to be his representatives. Some of you have seen this before, the United Methodist logo. And I love this, the cross, obviously, and then the flame, representing the fire of the Holy Spirit that is central to what John Wesley believed. In fact, he said, um, set yourself on fire and people will come for miles to watch you burn. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. As you become filled with the Holy Spirit, it transforms and changes you in a way that other people are drawn to. The neat thing is, if you travel out of the country, especially down to Latin America, Central America, Brazil, you see this sign a lot, sometimes in the roughest, poorest neighborhoods. And for people who are there, it's not just pointing to a denomination. It's pointing to something that is offered there that brings life that revives people and that can be a light even in the midst of a place that may be very, very spiritually dark. But regardless of your denominational affiliations, there should be a response when you consider what God is offering. But every person's response can be different. Um, For the original disciples at the Pentecost, Uh, where there were 120 of them, we saw what their response was. It was an overflow of ministry that took the form of tongues and led to salvations. Um, You saw Anita down here this morning. She has a very physical response when the Holy Spirit starts moving in her. And in fact, we kind of have the whole Holy Spirit corner down here, right? The whole Pentecostal corner in this service. Some people have a more physical response to that. Um... I don't foresee myself waving flags, although some of you saw it happen once um, where I kind of got sucked into it. And, you know, so things happen sometimes. It's a whole different story. But God will transform us over time. And we should be hesitant about thinking, that's not me. I'll never do that. Because in the past, I used to see people swaying to worship music And I was thinking, why don't they just be still? What's that all about? 
Well, guess what's happening to me now? So be careful what you say. But there, are th- there should be a response. If you feel like God is nudging you to go deeper, there should be a response to that. But it can take all kinds of forms. It could be something that happens in worship here. Moving back and forth with the music. Lifting a hand here and there. Going to the altar for prayer. It may be something that happens apart from this. Joining a life group, a Sunday school class. Finding your small group in, in this very large church. That's an important thing to do. It could be volunteering at Bridging the Gap or somewhere else. But I guarantee you there is some sort of response that God is building in you to happen as a result of what you receive. And sometimes you just need permission that it's okay to do it. A few weeks ago, a group of us met over in the chapel for prayer, and Veronica was there, and she was praying in English, which is not her first language, and it was beautiful. But I kind of got the sense that she was holding back a little bit, and I think she was praying in English just out of humility, and because she knows that none of the rest of us there, or that some of us who were there would not understand what she was praying if she prayed in Spanish. And so I finally just said to her, pray in Spanish. And it was like the dam burst. And she just needed permission to be her authentic self in that moment. And it was incredible. That's why I wanted her to pray this morning. She's a powerful woman of God. And sometimes we just need permission that it's okay to be who the Holy Spirit is calling you to be, realizing that doesn't necessarily need to look like everyone else around you. There is no expected response from God. How one person responds can look very different from how another person responds. Some of us worship God with our hands in the air, some with our hands in our pockets. Neither one is permitted to judge the other. Remember Peter in the boat. They were in the storm. Jesus walks out on the water to the boat where the disciples are. And he calls them to come out onto the water. And Peter's the only one that says, okay. He steps out. He walks for a few steps. He's thinking, I'm doing pretty good here. Because he's got his eyes on Jesus. But then he starts looking down, looking at what's going on, and he starts to sink. And so sometimes we Uh, looked down on Peter because he started sinking. Well, come on. He was the only one that even got out of the boat. And he did walk for a couple of steps. What was going on in him is that it was a glimpse of what was about to happen. Starting at Pentecost. A glimpse of how he was going to walk with the anointing of God. And God's calling us out on the water too. And we hesitate. Sometimes we feel unworthy. What if... What if God doesn't respond? Maybe I'm not spiritually mature enough to do this, to do what I see other people doing. Well, that's okay. Um, Every response is different. Some of us feel that we're not worthy. Well, Jesus said in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So you don't have to be worried about that. God's not going to say, no, not you. And then other sphere of what the Holy Spirit may look like if we accept more of the Holy Spirit. God does not desire to embarrass us. 
God may want to lead us a little further than we've been before. His goal is not to embarrass us. His goal is to bless us. And there are ways that we can surrender that we imagine are going to be bad, but it's actually a blessing. Luke eleven eleven, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? One last cartoon. This is pig and goat on the beach contemplating. Pig says, I'm starting to think I don't ever want to die. Why is that? It's outside my comfort zone. Never leave your comfort zone. Unfortunately, that's the approach many of us take. I'm not up here trying to convince you to do something that's not natural for you. But God may be nudging some of us, maybe all of us today, just to move a little beyond the safe boundary that we put up for him.